Plugging in today for you on episode 117 of No Guitar Is Safe is Gus G. He's got a brand new Firewind album out, and he also played guitar with Ozzy Osbourne from 2009 for like, gosh, eight years. He's going to play a ton of stuff for you and tell you some crazy stories with the Prince of Darkness. And it's brought to you today by Nuclear Blast Recordings at nuclearblast.com. Nuclear Blast would like you to know that the band Nightwish has released their ninth record. It's called Human Nature. It's a double album containing nine songs plus one long epic instrumental that is divided into eight chapters. Dig it. Go deep. Join Nightwish on this existential journey and listen now wherever you stream music. Or you can order the CD or the vinyl at the Nuclear Blast store at nuclearblast.com. And I also love the fact that Nightwish is from Finland. Great place for symphonic metal. I like that because I'm half Finnish. I don't speak it. All I can say is Mustika, which was my grandma's cat's name. It means blueberry. So yes, I'm Jude Gold, host of No Guitar Is Safe, and we are about to hang with Gus G. He's going to plug in for you, play some guitar. We're going to check out the epic new Firewind record available on AFM Records. It's simply called Firewind. And you're hearing a sample right now, which of course Gus G is the leader of that epic band. I love this stuff and you will too, whether you like modern metal or classic metal. It's got both elements running strong in it, which I love about Gus G's music and blazing solos as well. And as I mentioned, of course, we're going to talk about his Ozzy years. I mean, come on. What do you do when Ozzy hands you a sleeping pill? What happens when Ozzy shows up at your wedding? What about when Ozzy says, you got to take a 10-minute guitar solo, buddy. I'm leaving the stage. What about all that stuff? We have a good time. We even talk about wah-wah pedals again, as I did with Mrs. Smith on the previous episode. The spring-loaded ones. Those spring-loaded wah-wah pedals just keep popping up. No pun intended. I also wanted to mention that at one point we're talking about the Ozfest in which Maiden, Iron Maiden, left the tour. But I think I might have presented it incorrectly because I don't think Iron Maiden actually left. I think the last couple nights they had to leave already because they had scheduled some festival dates. So it makes it sound like they were let go from the tour or something like that but i don't think that's what happened but i did ask him about some of the drama that happened on that tour with iron maiden on Ozfest, because gus was there at that time he was playing with arch enemy good stuff man inspiring i hope you dig it keep it alive to your 95 people i'm jude gold thanks again to nuclearblast.com they've got a bunch of cool bands for sponsoring this episode. No Guitar Is Safe is an independent podcast and it donates money to EJI.org, the Equal Justice Initiative, because, as Dr. Martin Luther King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. All right, we're going to fire up the chopper and zoom on over to hang out with Gus.
Oh, by the way, if the chopper ride seems longer today, you are correct. We're going all the way to Greece. Gus lives in Greece. Gus G in the house. What are you playing right there? Tell us about your oh, guitar. Yeah, this is the uh, new Jackson signature model that we, um, I don't know if you can see it here, but yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's my new model. We, we debuted that at the, uh, at the NAMM last January it's yeah. a star guitar like this weird shapes that I'm known for playing <laughs> yeah they're really cool Thank kind of you. kind of uh, like a little bit of an explorer kind of quote yeah it's like it's like an explorer and a V together that kind of a thing it's pretty pointy yeah this is like this one has its ivory color I mean th we, we released a couple of models three years ago that had like on the body they had like bevels and like pinstripes very cool yeah. very close to randy rhodes vibe but anyways this one is like yeah like a flat body and it's a uh ivory color with a white binding 24 frets block inlay so it gives a little bit more of a vintagey type of look rad um yeah like a chrome hardware and actually the cool feature is like my pickups i, I started my own pickup company this year wow yeah so this is like a prototype thing that we're using it's an active pickup yeah active pickup with chrome covers i like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh what kind of thing are you going for with those pickups? You know, it's I guess it's similar to the one that I was playing with Duncan for years, you know, but I just wanted a d different voicing on it. I wanted to have more mid-range on it. So it's like, you know, it's like an Alnico 5 type of magnet. So it's high output and you have like, obviously you, uh, uh, it goes through a preamp circuit. And um, yeah, it's yeah. high output, but at the same time, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it has a lot of... Uh, yeah, a lot of distortion stuff, but it also responds pretty well to picking, attack, and all those things. Can I hear some of it? Or you want to give us a demonstration of the, <laughs> the bridge pickup? Yeah, absolutely. What kind of pick do you use? You know, people like to know sometimes, like, when you, for all the athletic, crazy stuff you do, have you found one pick that works better than others for you? Yeah. I, actually, I, I used to worry about those things, like, a lot when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, not so much. But I, I, uh, I use a Dunlop Jazz 3XL, it's called. Oh, yeah. Tortex, I guess. Yeah, Tortex. Gotcha. So it's like one, mil one millimeter thickness. And you got your what little, do you use? I mean, I'm using them, these Dunlop. Shit, what are they called? Mac. I use the Dunlop Max grips. They're they're not the most shreddy because they're a little bigger than they're like a standard okay. size guitar pick. But they have a really good grip on them. They're made of nylon. They have a lot of attack. Okay. They kind of got a zinc to them. They got a little more. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to get some. Yeah. I mean, you can't really hear it right now, but it 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 grinds. Like it gives a little bit of like kind of snap. A little, a little bit, more, right? yeah, a little bit of friction on there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, so fantastic. We're hanging out with Gus G. You're all Dude. the way in Greece, and for anyone who doesn't know, come on, Ozzy Osbourne from 2009 to 2017, I guess. Yes. And better than that. I a new Firewind record out. And of course, you have your solo stuff, but the new Firewind, yes. which is just called Firewind, 
on I've been listening to it on Spotify. Man, I hiked this crazy canyon near my house, man, and that shit was just getting me pumped up on my headphones, you know, like just <laughs> so much energy and so much badassery. Thank you, thank you. Well, I know you're thrilled because you got a new singer, Herbie Langens. Yeah. Yeah, Herbie Langens. He's he's German. I think his uh, last name in English means long neck. That's what I <laughs> that's what I was told. So. Herbie Longneck or Langens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I love his uh, his vocal entrance on. Orbitual Sunrise and the music underneath it with the groove and everything. Thank you, yeah. Mournful eyes They want to survive So many fates Under the sketch Yeah, Herbie, no, I think he's an excellent singer. He's, our, he's like the new guy in the band, but you know, the minute I heard him sing, I was like, wow, that's the guy. That's how the band should be sounding and um, I can hear a lot of classic things like in his voice like I can hear Udo I can hear Biff from Saxon I can hear like Graham Bonnet like I can hear Dio I can hear all those that kind of vibe going on in his voice Uh, you know without trying to say that the guy's copying any of those guys but that's like the background I guess there and um, he's got his own vibe of course and um, that's the shit that we all love you know (laughs) <laughs> it makes our yeah warms our heart <laughs> like overdrive the song actually has a little dio vibe to to it a little bit of a holy diver kind of groove which just you know that warms my heart as someone who feels that ronnie james dio is one of the <laughs> greatest singers of all time is that was a vibe like for me i'm also like a i'm sabbath a sabbath fan but you know obviously through all their eras so i love yeah. obviously the aussie era and the Dio era but i i like the tony martin records that are very underrated uh not only maybe not not a lot of fans know but i like headless cross and stuff like that so Rad. But I also but I also love that riff from the a song called Anno Mundi from uh, the record Tear, the okay. opening track. That 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 riff I'm gonna play for you. It's I love that riff. I love the slow headbangers. Basically that kind of stuff, yeah. Now we'll get we'll get to your Aussie years, which are going to be fascinating. But I, one thing, I would, since we're talking about Sabbath, 
Didn't you get to tour with some of those members, like Geezer Butler and the Ozzy and Friends tour? Like from, I guess that was 2012. Like, did you get any good hangs with Geezer, the godfather of heavy metal? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The dude who invented metal lyrics? He did, yes. He kind of did, right? I mean, that was, yeah, correct. That was the Ozzy and Friends tour in Europe, 2012. And uh, who was on that tour? It was the Aussie band, so it was me and Blasco and Tommy Clofetos and Adam Wakeman on keyboards, and then the special guests were um, uh, uh, Geezer Butler and and Zach Wild and Slash. Damn. Right. Yeah. Tell us about some of those hangs. That was probably the greatest tour during my time with Aussie. Um, you know, just because of, I mean, how wild this lineup is. You know, and. Um, I mean, for me, for any guitar player, just to share the stage with Zach and Slash, it's like I mean, that's not something that happens every day, right? So, um, was there one one particular song that you all three of you would be on stage doing? Yeah, we did a thing in the end. We did Paranoid, all three of us. Classic. And then there was a couple. Yeah, there was a. I can't remember if it was one more. I'm, I'm forgetting right now. But there were a couple of songs that I would do together with Slash, like NIB yeah. and War Pigs. And then Zach would come out and do a couple of his songs from his catalog with Ozzy, and then we would all kind of like join together for uh, for Paranoid, and it was just wild, man. And those and those guys were loud on stage; they were loud. <laughs> now I did get to go to an Ozzy rehearsal about two years ago, and oh, cool. uh, I w they wouldn't let me in the room while he was in there, so we just passed by each other in the hallway. But they did let me in for like forty-five minutes while they were warming up before Ozzy got there. And yes, Zach was loud, good loud. <laughs> it was like a jet engine loud, but it sounded amazing. Yes. And what were you running with Ozzy for the most part? You know, I thought I was loud until I played next to those guys. <laughs> right. I was running through my Blackstar amps, the 200 watt heads, you know, like, like sig the signature heads that we created, the Blackfires uh, a few years back. So, I, you know, I thought I had pretty good volume on stage until like you know somebody like slashes next to you and you're like oh my god this like hurts <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and you, you were were you running like two heads at once or something yeah two heads on four cabs like each head was going stereo so yeah yeah it was a lot i mean but also those are big stages and it's not like yeah. it was not like a competition of who's loudest it was more like covering all that kind of spectrum like you know when you're moving around you kind of kind of have to have a few more cabs plugged in so yes. like you take a few steps to the left or to the right so you you still hear your guitar but then again of course that's like a, a guitar player's thing where we need to have that kind of air pushing behind us from the cab but yeah. you know in such a production you know you have your you know your monitor set up every day the same way in your own monitor yeah um guy so it was um i mean it, it was it was great anyways for me so it's not like i needed to crank up to hear myself and actually ozzy hears a lot of guitar in his monitors like i remember yeah. when i was doing my guitar solo and i would go to the middle of the stage the guy would have to the monitor guy had to turn down my guitar there because it was deafening loud i'm like how can he hear guitar so loud <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy i know and he, yeah and he has like six monitors up there i guess two of them are like the teleprompters with the lyrics i don't know if i'm supposed to say that or not <laughs> yeah yeah he has a, no, no. <laughs> everybody has he does that have the teleprompters yeah yeah he but, does have the teleprompters and then like four monitors with you know pro probably crazy loud vocals and guitars yeah yeah and and to be fair most artists have that that if you have the means to have a lyric person and a teleprompter 
you probably have one when you have a 40 year oh yeah a lot of a lot of guys do that when you have 40 years worth of songs it's a it's a nice luxury to have but yeah i was impressed that he had all those analog monitors in his face but tell me did you have any good guitar talks with slash or or zach or any moments you remember or what stands out what's something hilarious or inspiring or unforgettable a lot of things. I mean, I definitely had some really cool hangs with uh, Zach, you know, about, you know, di- you know, he was telling me a lot about how it was when he was there, like in the old days, like in the 80s and stuff like that. And I don't know, just funny moments. And then um, Slash, uh, I remember I was asking him about, like I was telling him that, oh man, I, I love that red BC Rich you, you, you had on that You Could Be Mine video because that's like one of the things that turned me on to hard rock and metal when I saw you on TV when I was right. like 12 or something or 11 because that was like the Terminator 2 soundtrack. Oh, I remember watching that on TV like because I was a big Arnold fan, I still am. So I'm a big fan of Conan and Terminator movies and stuff. So I remember watching that as a kid on MTV and then I see Arnold on this music video he walks into this club and then Guns N' Roses are playing there. And that blew my mind as a kid. And then I was telling Slash about this experience. I'm like, dude, whatever happened to that red BC Rich? And and yeah, he was telling me, yeah, that was a kick-ass guitar. That was a great guitar. And then he was oh, telling yeah. me that at some point he was offered to to own part of the company or something like that. Oh, yeah. That guy's a legend out here who made BC Rich. Yeah. Bernie Rico, especially mm. those classic those classic BC Riches. That's a yeah. dream, that's a dream guitar if you could find one of those. Did I, you? I remember, and I remember uh, uh, Slash was also carrying like a flight case for his top hat. That was interesting. <laughs> Did you <laughs> carry it on on the plane with him? Yeah, yeah. Like when uh, he, his his assistant was carrying the the flight case, the the the, the top hat, the hat the case, case yeah. with, the, with the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, one time Slash lost his hat, or it got borrowed or stolen, and they, uh, you know, a high end publicity firm actually actually put a hole publicity blast out to the industry slash's hat is missing and it took like a few days he got it back because that's his that's a specific hat that he stole from a store or something back in the day if i have the story (laughs) correct i think he stole that from a shop and he's had it ever since oh uh, wow i thought he probably has like some backup hats or something i don't know i met him at nam this year for a very quick interview and yeah he was just wearing a baseball cap so, Slash is a really cool late 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 back guy and um, great guy. Works hard, man. Like to this day, like that was also one mind blowing thing. Also about Zach and and Slash, like was those guys were working hard. Like when when Slash wasn't out with us, he was flying out to do his own band shows. Like I don't know, he would fly s- somewhere in another continent to do a gig, and then he would come back the next morning. He would be in Stockholm yeah. and you know, joining us for just like those two or three songs. And like those guys work really hard, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. Travel is a big part of the work when it comes to touring. It goes on to show you like, because a lot of people think like, oh yeah, when a guy like that has made it to that level, they don't give a shit and this and then like, no man, like these guys work hard to this day. And, uh, you know, and and any musician will tell you that, you know, it's for the love of music. You you just want to be out there and you want to play. So I picture you guys all meeting downstairs for breakfast every morning, you know, at the buffet. There's <laughs> Gus G and Slash and Zach and Geezer Butler and Ozzy comes rolling in. But I think that's probably not true. But <laughs> it, no, it did, it did happen a couple of times. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. You never know who would be there in the morning. I mean, I, I'm I'm the kind of guy. I'm the guy who always woke up too late and missed breakfast many days because I never really cared for that. But uh, I, like I can't wake up at nine thirty just to make the ten o'clock curfew. Like I'll I'll be like 
ah, whatever. Oh, I'm with you. I'll grab something later. So, but a lot of the guys they would go there every day, like religiously, to breakfast. And uh, sometimes I, I would, you know, I would, I, whenever I went down there, there was somebody there, you know. Yeah, I guess it was pretty sobre backstage for the most part too, right? I mean, Ozzy's been sober, I guess, and Zach, yeah, yeah totally. Z- Zach was maybe sober in 2012. Yes, he was totally. I think so. Yeah, and um, totally. Slash has been sober for a long time. So yeah, no, no real crazy alcohol moments there. You know, at least when I was around, everybody was very cool, laid back, and and I don't drink either. I don't do any drugs or anything. So for me, it was like okay, yeah, like the the these guys, the way that I met them, they were all very cool and yeah, so no you, you wild never, moments or anything like that. You never had a beer drinking phase or anything, really, or not really? No, <laughs> not really. Just I just you drink should. socially, but like you know, after two or three beers, yeah. I'm drunk and and I just and I hate hangover, so I'm, it's not really my thing. So oh, dude, there you go, power to you. So when you first started, I guess did your father inspire you to start music, and did you learn any Greek melodies or anything? I had <laughs> Phil X on here, and he demonstrated some uh, Greek stuff that he learned with his father. I was oh, like, he does. Okay, I was like, damn, that's a cool shreddy kind of cool ass melody. Like, kind of like, yeah, for me, it was like, yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to some of the Greek music that my father was playing at home, but I didn't really get into it. I have to say, I'm not really a big fan of the Greek folk music, even though the guys that play the buzuki, because that's like the, the Greek yeah. type of, the, yeah, the traditional folk instrument. Those guys are shredders, man, and they play with clean tone, and each string is like a double string, like yeah. like you'd have on a 12-string guitar, and they play some fast stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Do they plug them in with like piezo pickups or something, or just use microphones? No, no, just like just like a regular pickup, like in the middle here, and, uh, and they have ah. like... It's like it's also like an acoustic instrument as well. You yeah, know, it has like yeah. the big. Uh, but yeah, those guys they, they they can shred. Actually, with Firewind, we did we did one cover about ten or twelve years ago. We did a cover of a classic, um, like one of the classic f- folk songs from a very famous bouzouki player. But we were not allowed to release it because his uh, he the, the guy has been dead for many years. But uh, his his family owns the rights, and they didn't allow us to release it because they thought we were a satanic band or. Oh man! And I was like, no, we're we're not like no. Just because we're metalheads, it doesn't mean like anything. And we tried to explain, but it didn't work out. But he said, "Hey, song, I covered Maniac, the '80s jam. That was on the <laughs> same record. That was gonna be on the same record. Ah, okay, and that song got left out when we just used Maniac. We, we we recorded two covers. It was Maniac and that Greek song. Ah, interesting. So, what got you playing guitar, man? Dude, it was uh, Peter, Peter Frampton. That talk box. It was. Yes, it was a talk box. Yeah, my dad had that record at home. So, you know, I didn't dig the Greek vinyls, but I liked that. I liked all that cool bluesy stuff he was doing and then the guitar sounding like a ro- talking robot. <laughs> I'm starting to see it here. You got the, you're got into the robots and the Terminator. Yeah, I got there you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally, man. So, I mean, you become such a proficient, incredible virtuoso. And what was some of the first exercises that you did that took you from being a total beginner to becoming a more advanced player like anything you remember doing i remember locking myself in the in the hallway of my dad's apartment building that had a great acoustic properties reverb and people would walk by but that's where i learned how to do three note per string scales up and down the neck is there any moment in your life like that um yeah i think for me like the really defining moment was when i got that first instructional video from paul gilbert Ah. Uh, like and you know that what was called um, intense rock or, or something like that, and yeah. you know he had that classic type of uh, 
um, exercise. I'm gonna. So yeah. basically that kind of uh, sextuplet and basically because what that unlocked for me was the secret was basically for, I think for any guitar player, really, how do you switch strings uh-huh. without having all this noise? And for me, that was like the, the main problem. Like I could play fast on one string, but how do I go to the other string? So when you just play that pattern, was that 100% pure alternating? Up, down, up, down, up, down? Yeah, yeah. That's how I followed it. That's how it was shown on that video. And um, I mean... It's something that took years to master, you know, like properly. And uh, but that that unlocked the you know whole world of for me, like oh, the three note restraint. That's how it is. And once you yeah. can do that on one string, then you can do all these other patterns. Can you show us some ways that it expanded to like you might end up using it on other strings or elsewhere sure, in the neck? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. make me want to practice uh, you make nice. it look so so easy I mean, it's just fluid it's just you know that's the thing like you know you walk in i remember when i walked into a guitar center no it was a store called leo's music in okay. oakland california when i was in seventh grade when i first it was the first guitar store that i discovered and there was you know hundreds of guitars and amps and three different rooms and i was mind-boggling and mm. You know, it's like a Tuesday afternoon and there's like six people in there and like four or five of them were kind of standing around this guitar player and he was plugged into a loud amp just blazing. And later, <laughs> later I found out it was Brad Gillis from Night Ranger oh, man. just killing it. And, uh, and I just got that feeling just watching you just shred there, man. I get that feeling. It just makes you like want to just sit down and oh, wow. practice and play, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but you're a killer guitar player yourself, man. But I know, oh, I know what you, you mean that like when you, um, when you are you know it's when you watch somebody that you're like oh yeah that, that's that's cool and it's like it makes you want to pick up the guitar again and like i gotta brush yeah. up on that or maybe i gotta like and i mean there's a lot of amazing young young guitar players out there right now that are taking the instrument to new heights new levels and i i look yeah. at that and i'm like wow what a, like what they do i cannot do no absolutely no way and it kind of humbles us all because you know you see wow can't do everything. I can do my thing, no. and they can't do everything, but they can do it. Yeah, people, the knowledge base is just growing so fast now thanks to internet and YouTube and everything, the knowledge base. And I think that's that's what's beautiful about music. Like everybody, like you never know how someone might interpret things that you play that you think is standard on guitar for many, yeah. many years. And then like now there's like people that are coming along and they're using all these techni- techniques in a totally different way that we haven't thought about it. And you're looking at that and going, wow, like to me, that's like proper evolution. This is where it's at, you know, and um, I'm, ha- I'm happy to see that even even though I cannot do it, but I'm happy, you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad yeah. that this is moving forward. And, and at the yeah. same time, like you say, we don't have to, you know, because you think about that, like, wow, but, you know, you shouldn't try to copy that because then it's good to be influenced and then have that kind of in the back of your mind that this exists yeah. out there and it's it's going that direction. But obviously, you know, everybody has their own style and their vibe and you do what you do. Well said. Now, back to some of these patterns, like on we were listening to Arbitual Sunrise a second ago, that solo has some really cool 
elements to it, and some of them they might be able you might be able to break down some of those patterns on there. I'm not sure. Did you write out that solo, or is that like... This is... That solo specifically is one of the most uh, free-form type of solos on the record. Uh, usually I kind of like, uh, like um, have fixed parts. Right. Uh, and I, I work out the solos before. And, but that one was like a, a couple, of, couple of jamming takes, and then I kind of kept the best and put it together. But I can... Um, yeah, so largely improvised. Yeah, I mean, that's like my... Uh, it's... It, Reminds a lot of maybe, you know, Michael Shanker and Ingve and that kind of uh, type of players. And that's the vibe I was going yeah. for. Like I start out with this wah melody yeah. and then it goes into this. Um, yeah, like I've, I've actually a lot of those type three note per string type of uh, patterns like... That's a fun one. That's all on one string. All right, start, show us that that one slowly on one on the high string. <laughs> okay. That's the pattern. Yeah. Yeah, and then when you start jumping to the other strings, it really adds a cool factor. So basically, it's like a F sharp minor, like yeah. descending, linear descending type of yeah. lick on one string, and then like on, goes on two strings, and then so that's a, a lot of those type of things in there. So when you first came to America, was that when you came to Berkeley College of Music, which I understand you only were there for a few weeks before you decided you wanted to do something different? Yeah, that's correct. But the first time I came to America was a thing in '91. I was much younger. You're like I was 11. About that was like 11. Yeah, because I, I have, uh, my uncle lives in Florida, my mother's brother, basically. Yeah, so we I I would visit him every now and then during summertime. So I think the first time was 91 that I came to America, and then I came back in 94. And then, yeah, then I the next time I think was at the, um, that Berkeley uh, summer program they had. That's like the first time when you kind of moved there. Maybe yeah. you live there for a couple months for the summer program. Yeah, yeah. I know you've mentioned Joe Stump. A lot of people have mentioned Joe because he's apparently just super inspiring teacher and shredder. Tell us about Joe's effect on you. Yes, Joe was, I mean, to me, it was great meeting Joe Stump at Berkeley because he was like the metal guy you know, from the metal teacher there. And uh, I just loved it, you know, and, uh, and me being a metalhead. And he has the same kind of, he he likes the same players that I like. You know, he's big into uh, Blackmore and and uh, and Ingve and Schenker and Uli Roth and those guys. And like a lot of the European guys that I I was always into, and we just clicked right away. And um, yeah, actually, and and I and a little known known fact is that uh, Joe Stump sort of suggested me to his then record label uh, Leviathan Records, which was owned by David Chastain, another '80s. Uh, cult guitar hero 
you know, yeah. and I started sending my demos to David Chastain and so on. And, and David actually um, was the first guy that offered me a record contract for Firewind. Sweet. But uh, yeah, I mean, Joe, I mean, now he plays in Alcatraz, which is great. Right, um, classic. And he's a, he's a sick player, man. And he has a lot of knowledge and um, just a very, you know, very important at that age, young age, you know, to have somebody to... Uh, was there something? To look up, I'm sorry, someone to look up to. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was looking up to him, and you know, he had, you know, his knowledge and like just a, like a lot of. We had a lot of discussion besides like the stuff that he taught me as a player and like a lot of the, like attitudes he was showing me, a lot of the you know licks and tricks and stuff. You know, it was just good to have all these conversations with him, and um, it helps yeah. a lot at that age when you just want to achieve things you know, and you have your dreams and you want to do stuff. But you're very young, obviously, and uh, especially for me, for yeah. a guy like me coming up, you know, from the other side of the world and. Wow, you know now now yeah. I'm here in America on my own, and then, you know, it was like just like a good, like a really great guy to to look up to, and to, it was uh yeah. it was very nice to to talk to him and get tips and and advice from a guy like that, you know. Sounds like a great teacher and great great teacher. Had, did you learn a lot of English before you moved to the came to Berkeley, or because or did you learn it on the spot? No, I did. I I used to have uh, English lessons here. Um, in school and also in private as well with a with a teacher friend of ours that used to come to the house once cool. a week and i picked up a lot from movies luckily in greece the movies here they had subtitles so it was very easy to pick pick it up you know ah, whereas yeah. like in like in, in germany everything is dubbed or in italy uh, or um, i know i was in france once watching a clint eastwood movie and it was dubbed <laughs> I was like, this yeah. is terrible. You got to hear Clint Eastwood's voice, man. You can't have Clint <laughs> yeah. Eastwood with that. Like, you know, much better just to have the French on the screen. And that's just me. You're right. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with you. Every time I'm on tour and then, you know, we're we're in some hotel and I'm just like, you know, zapping through the channels. I'm like, wow. Like, I, I just can't watch movies like, like that. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's bothering me. I don't know. And uh, I mean, I don't understand any French or German anyway. So... But uh, yeah, luckily for me, I, I picked up a lot of English like that, and also through the te my teacher. And um, I just liked English yes. since a very young age. Has there been any other huge influences on your guitar playing that people might not know about? I mean, obviously the big heroes and and the Joe Stump and stuff. But any, uh, it could be a different musician or composer. Or hard to hard, say, right? Like just like right off the bat. I mean, a lot of guitar players, I have to say, because you know, like also my father. You know, my father was he was singing Greek traditional stuff, but and he was not big into rock and roll or stuff like that, but he knew some some of it, and he did turn me on to things like the Beatles or Pink Floyd or Santana. So all these things played a, a role yeah. into my musical education growing up, you know? What was the most, off the top of your head, moving guitar performance that you ever saw? If you went to a concert or something, or somebody just blew your mind and surprised you? Quite a few. I mean, seeing Ingve Malmsteen live for the first time, it was just mind-blowing, you know, because he was like my idol at that time. And then the fact that he was coming to Greece, it was just like, wow. And I was 15 years old. And yeah, we drove to Athens. My dad took me there and I, just, I saw him. I think that was a, he had an album called Magnum Opus and that was a tour and I just couldn't yeah. believe it. And then he came, he came back two years later and he was even better. And um, <sighs> insane. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> see, also Steve Vai... I saw him at the fire. What was it called? Fire Garden or yeah. no, no, no. Ultra Zone. I think that was a tour he did, like in two thousand. What a performance as well! <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Like right, also, right, you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I got to see. I was lucky. I got to see a lot of my idols like back then. You know, because they somehow yeah. they came over here and uh, and uh, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, incredible. What city are you in now? 
I live in Thessaloniki, which is like the second biggest city in the mainland. Yeah. And is that where you grew up too with your family? Yeah. Cool. Tell us about at some point you joined Arch Enemy. And how long were you in that band? And what was that experience like? And who was on lead vocals at the time? Yeah, I uh, I got a call from Michael Amot, the the main songwriter, band leader, and because uh, Chris, his brother, was the other guitar player, and then he had quit the band. And that was back in two thousand five, and I had met Michael a couple of times when I when I lived in Gothenburg briefly, because I did spend some time there in Sweden in Gothenburg. And I had a band with uh, their producer, Frederick Nordstrom. We had a band called Dream Evil. And I had met Michael a couple of times. So I think, you know, he knew a little bit about me. And I think Michael liked Dream Evil. Rad. Yeah. And yeah, he told me they were playing our records like backstage when they were warming up for gigs. So anyways, he gave me a call and he's like, dude, I need a guitar player for this summer tour we're doing at the uh, Ozfest. And my brother just quit the band. So, So yeah, man, I was like, amazing. Dude, what was that feeling like when that call came in? Tell me how you, that, where, where were you sitting? I was actually, I had just played a small gig in Athens and I was, I went to an internet cafe to check my emails and I got an email from, from Michael and I was like, oh my God. And then I, I, uh, I think I took the train back home and then I, you know, we got on the phone right away and then, uh, <laughs> it was crazy. That's pretty uh, wild. Ozfest, were you on the main stage? No, we were on the second stage which and. Is, which is still awesome. It was awesome because. That's where like all the whatever new was happening in metal, the whatever new movement was happening, that that's where it was at. Like all the kids were there and all the mosh pits and stuff was happening and that's where all the new bands were coming out of the Incredible. second stage. And then on the main stage you had like, you know, the the more classic bigger names. You know, I mean that year it was uh Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden. Damn. So that was a crazy tour. I was like, I got to go to this. And, it, um, is that the tour where Iron Maiden left after? Yep. Can you can you tell us what happened? Why did Iron Maiden leave that tour? Please. Um, I want someone yeah. who's there to tell me. And here's the thing. I missed it. That was the only night that we left early because every night we used to watch Maiden and then Sabbath. And that day, I think it was in San Bernardino or somewhere, we decided to... to you know, drive with a bus, drive away and go get a hotel somewhere. And then the next morning we read like on Blabbermouth and all these websites, the egg throwing event and Sharon like shuts down the power during Maiden set. And we're like, what the fuck happened after we left? Tell and, us, um, tell what did happen from what you know. Um, well, I, what was going on was, is like, I think, I mean, Bruce Dickinson was talking all kinds of things on the tour you know i think and i think i heard him say a couple of nights actually like well we're not one of those bands uh you know they um they play the same same old stuff and same old stuff and i i think at some point probably they took it as an insult to black sabbath or something i thought they were critical of the fact that all the front were not the hardcore fans that all the front seats in the concert venue were I don't know. That's the thing. I don't That's know exactly. Too, huh? that, yeah, I, but I think he was. I think Bruce was maybe just bitching about some stuff, and then mm. I don't know. It, it offended yeah. Sharon or something. And anyways, what we heard the next day was that yeah, she uh, pu- pulled the plug while they were playing in the middle in the middle of their set, and then they, she threw some uh, eggs at them on stage, and uh, yeah, the whole thing just didn't end up good. And and where does one get eggs at a con- well? How do you have eggs at Ozfest? Like how? Does- uh, I think <laughs> I think from probably from catering. <laughs> I guess raw eggs. 
All right. Well, they had their own chefs there, so they can be like, okay, hey, give me like 10 eggs. Can you believe that? That's a, just a that's just a moment. I mean, can you imagine being the front of house and someone's like, cut the sound, and you're like, what? Cut the sound right now. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was, I know. We, were, we, we read all about it the next morning, and that was like the crazy thing. We were there, but we were not there. So we had to yeah. read everything online and... um and then you next thing you know, Maiden is off the tour and thing Velvet Revolver came out for the last few shows. I think right. that's what happened. Do you think this had any role in you getting the Aussie gig down the road or you Actually here's the thing. Something happened that summer, but I don't think well here I'm gonna tell you the story anyways. I don't think it probably had anything to do, but maybe it did. During that summer at some point, uh Aussie put out they put out like a, a press release saying that Aussie's auditioning guitar players. And I was like holy shit, I'm out here. Uh, well, I'm, I was like very skeptical and very shy. I'm a, I'm a shy guy actually. So I was like, well, you know what? I had just released this Firewind album and I was like, I'm going to go to production office and just knock on the door and then be like, hey, if you need a guitar player, maybe check out, here's my album, check it out if you like it. And, and, I, and I did that. And I said, I'm on the second stage with Archemi. If anybody's interested, I, I read this. You're like, hey, Zach, would you hand the CD to Ozzy? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> even dare, no. But, you know, it was just like, I don't know. It was like, well, I'm out here. I probably will never get a chance. I'm like, it's like that yeah. what if moment. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going and, 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 and Black Label was on that tour actually too. Yeah. And I never got to meet Zach on that tour. Uh, but anyways, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't, and I didn't want to know. I was like, okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll just drop a CD here. I'll leave it at the production office and maybe somebody will like firing and maybe we'll get to play one of these Ausfests one day. Who knows? Like just like that kind of a thing. But you know, nothing happened obviously. And that was like 2005. Um, I mean, the day that I got the email was in 2009. That was like four years later. From Ozzy's so, management or? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if, I don't think somebody dug up that CD, but maybe they, maybe they somehow had, you know, I was right. on that list of guitar players. Could be. I don't know. I never really found out. What was that feeling like when they called you for that? What did they say? Or did they fly you out somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. They asked me if I wanted to audition. And um, they were like, yeah, take your time. We're in no hurry. Like, learn a few songs and then um, you can come out to L.A. And they actually got, you know, they got me a, a plane ticket out to L.A. And yeah. uh, I thought it was going to be one of those situations where you have, like, guitar players around the block waiting to get in there and then... <laughs> I did that like very, once with for the red did, hot, huh? the red hot chili peppers. Luckily, wow, how I was, was that? <laughs> it was it was great. I made it to round two, which meant I actually got to audition with Flea and Chad on drums. Wow, Anthony the singer wasn't there, but we jammed for like twelve minutes and it went really well. And Flea was smiling afterwards, and he was like, "We got your number, right, man? We got your number and everything. Yeah, you filled out. All right, cool, man." But that was cool. really nice of him. It was a nice moment, but dude. I think they that's when they got um Dave Navarro. Ah, okay. And yeah. So So it was so was it like that? Was it like a lot of guitar players just waiting outside? That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It was it was funny because this is before the internet. You, you call the number and say, Hey, I want I want an audition for the for the chili peppers and then like two weeks <laughs> later I got a phone call on my answering machine, came home from school, and it's all This is the Chili Peppers office, your audition is ten AM, blah blah blah. Here's the address, Lancashire Boulevard, North Hollywood, California. May 11th or so. I don't know what month it was. Yeah. That's all you get. Click. No, you don't know who, where it came from, what the phone number was. No caller ID back then. Right. Maybe there was. Crazy. I don't know. So yeah, so my buddy's like, dude, you got to go, man. I'm buying us two plane tickets right now. So we fucking went down there, man. It's like a one hour flight and he rented a car. 
he was a little older. He was like 25 and he could rent a car. And we went down to LA and auditioned for the Chili Peppers. But to answer your question, there was like seven guys there. And luckily I was in that first seven. But by when I came back for the round two, there was a round the block through the parking lot, man, guitar players like you would never believe. And one dude actually had his Soldano half stack in line. Like imagine somebody like waiting in line to go into Whole Foods or something. Hey, I'm dumb, dumb. here I am. Just every couple, every 10 minutes, you roll your half stack like two feet further, closer to the door. Yeah. <laughs> but that was dedication, man. He wanted to have his tone there that day. Yeah, he wanted to have his own amp. Yeah. So anyway, absolutely. that's a long aside. So you were saying you expected it might be a cattle call, but when you got there, it was not? No, because they gave me like the the whole day there because I was just coming in from Greece. I was jet lagged and stuff. I think... I think also from what I heard later, I was kind of like the last guy to audition. I think they tried out all the guys that wanted to try out yeah. in LA or around, and um, and I don't know what that was. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I you know I went in and I thought, wow, my God, I'm uh, I need to warm up first and all that. But you know, it was just a band. I was like, it was a uh, Blasco and and Mike Mike Borden was in the band there, but he was out with um, Faith No More, right? And that's when. Tommy Clefetos came in to, to help out with the additions because he was Blasco's buddy from the Rob Zombie band. And um, anyway, so yeah, I, I got there and then I jammed with the guys for a few minutes or no, more like like an hour. And then I and then I was warmed up and probably and we went through the songs a couple of times. And uh, I mean, I, I, I was very well prepared too. So I knew my stuff. Yeah. And um, by that time, I'm like, okay, I got this. I knew right away, like, I, I know I can pull this off. I can do a good job. And then Ozzy came down and then we played together. So you walked in and you were warming up with the band. What kind of rig did they have for you? They had like a Marshall stack. And then I was like, well, and, and I think I played through a uh, 5150 head because yeah. you just can't go, you can't go wrong with that. That's, that's a great yeah. guitar tone right there for high gain stuff. That's the Holy Grail. Uh, yeah. so. Amazing. So then Ozzy shows up and what was your meeting like? With Ozzy, because you probably never really met him during Ozfest, I guess. No, I met Tony Iommi during Ozfest. I went up to uh, to get an autograph from him, and um, but uh, ne- yeah, never Ozzy. So um, I, I mean, it was I, I was starstruck. All right, so oh, it was, yeah. you know, I mean, Ozzy walks in, so we're like, oh shit. So it was a little bit. I didn't know what to say, and he was like, yeah, don't worry. It's like it's all good, man. Just let's just jam. So he was very relaxed, very laid back, yeah. and and you have to think like I'm I'm coming from a totally different world man like i had my band already and we were making our records and you know getting a little bit of a thing going on over in europe and asia and stuff and but i don't know i don't know anything about what it what is a hired gun and what does that mean i had an experience with arch enemy but at the same time i was a hired gun for arch enemy but at the same time i knew michael and i knew the guys from sweden yeah so it, it was like a little you know but it was a friendly thing because i knew those guys before but Right. You know, you go, you, you know, you go to to Hollywood in L.A. and then you meet with these guys, you know, the the rock gods and stuff, and you don't know what, how to act and what to do, or you think, what am I, what should I say, or what should I wear now, or what? Like it's all these things. <laughs> oh yeah, all these. Yeah. Aside from the playing. Yeah, it feels self conscious. I think we all like the more we do this, the longer we play, you learn how to somehow silence the, all that other stuff as best you can and still somehow play and have faith that yes and you, you kind of have faith like like oh man all this stuff's bugging me but this might be good later I might hear the recording and this might actually be good or i see a video and in the meantime you're just all like in your head yep <laughs> <laughs> what did ozzy say after your uh, after you played a couple tunes 
he he just he actually rolled through the songs really quickly like the minute like the second one song ended he would go like crazy train or like finish that one like i don't know like we would just roll through the song really fast like no breaks and we played four songs back to back and then he turns around and goes you're fucking great man fucking great that's awesome and then he goes into this other room with everybody and it's just me and tommy left there in the in a third third encore and it's um yeah. i'm yeah. standing there like on my own i'm like okay so now what and then tommy goes dude you probably got the gig i'm like well how do you know he goes like well why, why do you think they're in there talking right now i'm like oh, i don't know could be i don't know crazy <laughs> and and that's when it hit me i'm like wow this might happen actually <laughs> so that's wow did they let you know right there the same day yeah yeah they came back out and they were like hey we loved it and how about coming back and doing a gig with us amazing crazy yeah 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 that's incredible. So you're like, cool. But it's, it's funny too, though, because sometimes you could, then your next thing is, well, you kind of feel like, well, maybe this, the first gig is my real audition. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's what it was basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we think you're probably the person, but we have to take you for a test drive. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be like that. And I understand. I mean, it was probably a big change for them as much as it was for me. So yeah. All right. Well, fire off of your favorite Aussie riff right now. If you wouldn't, if you don't mind. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Just anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, mean, I used to play that song. What's that? Uh, our Zach Wild solo. No, that's uh, the ending of Bark at the Moon. So that's Jake Lee stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, Zach, he, he has some great riffs with Ozzy. I mean, I love Miracle Man as well, you know. <laughs> to me, though, it's so metal, just the... My headphone cable hit the wire, hit the string. But uh, believer, yeah. Yeah, I, I always loved that little thing. To me, that was like that was like Randy Rhodes' little take on the Hendrix chord. He'd just be like, "I'm a half step higher than you." Yeah, like. And then, you know, they say that the tritone is the devil's interval. Nothing sounds more demonic than the... I don't know. That, <laughs> that you must... Yeah. I'm headbanging over here. It's so yeah. much fun. You must have had so much fun just walking out on that stage and playing that... that big ass riff and the other ones to the big crowds just going crazy yeah it was a lot of fun nerve-wracking sometimes but yeah a lot of fun you know the the most annoying crowd i've ever experienced at an arena show was when i was 12 years old and i saw ozzy osbourne with brad gillis mm -hmm. and somebody in the audience was i don't know what they call them in greece Do they call them m80s that it's like a a big ass firecracker that will literally blow your fingers off if you had a oh, mistake. Oh yeah! Like it's so loud, 
and this someone was throwing them and lighting them and just throwing them. What? Yeah, at this Ozzy what, on Osbourne stage? Concert. No, into the crowd. Some idiot was throwing. I mean, this could like kill somebody. Absolutely. And, yeah. and one of them landed in my friend's elbow, in between, and he just barely got it out of because his arms were crossed. Yeah. And he got it out of. He got it out of. And it, before it hit the floor, it blew up right between us, and and all of a sudden, I couldn't even hear the concert anymore. My ears were just going. Wee! At least, at least on my right, my right side of my face felt numb for a bit. Anyway, wow. annoying crowd for a little twelve-year-old kid. Tell me, were, did you have any crazy crowd moments uh, with Ozzy? I mean, things are actually more contained now. They have, people, yeah. There's, there's more seats now. There weren't. There's not standing room only. It was more like seated arenas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Things it was were like different. that. Yeah. Things used to be um, much more gangster back then, man. I swear to God. Yeah, I think probably you'll see more crazy stuff in the crowd. Probably at a like younger bands that yeah. with younger audiences and like in clubs and mosh pits and things like yeah. that but standing room only yeah but with uh with, on the aussie crowds it wasn't any no yeah. you're lucky Not, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know and i remember ozzy telling me you well you got you got the least shit out of every guitar player i ever had like like in the old days there used to be people holding up signs like fuck you you know you're no randy like i'm like what really like yeah he said jake had to go through that and zach and i'm like wow oh my god i mean i oh yeah nobody nobody ever held up a sign that said fuck you gus or anything like that <laughs> you're yeah you are lucky you know uh steve morse when he joined deep deep purple certain er- certain areas oh, people yeah. would harass him and spit on him literally yeah the fans can be brutal sometimes like that now they, they can could be mean <laughs> it is brutal <laughs> look i understand like on one thing i understand the hierarchy especially in heavy metal world like there's a hierarchy like there's a you know the number one and guy and then like the guy who comes after it i mean and i knew i was like the last guy in line obviously and it's not like i expected anything else but luckily no no bad situations there for me yeah any crazy objects make it onto stage that you remember People don't even uh, throw shit anymore. What's going no, on with so, these rock fans? Yeah. I, I, well, a couple of times there were some uh, 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 bras, but yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> Ozzy would just put them around his head and walk around and do all <laughs> kinds of funny shit. Yeah, so <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, nothing else really. Now, in your video, Rising Fire, for the new song from the new album, there is a lot of fire. See, I haven't had long hair since I was 20 years old because I can't anymore. Do you get nervous being around that much fire with a full head of hair? Well, tell me about that, dude. That's, that's, that's some yep. serious pyro. Yep. Yeah, it was, I mean, okay, it, it wasn't like Rammstein or anything, but it was just, you know, but we had a few flames on that one. I'm, I thought, well, the band is called Firewind, which should have some fire on it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that I could become a shredder without having long hair? Is it possible? To be Absolutely, a blazing man, <laughs> hair hair doesn't matter. Uh, it sure it's helps not like if you a, can if you can helicopter though. Yeah, but who do, who does that? I, I don't do that. But <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of kidding. But like it, it does kind of add to the vibe, like a big mane of hair. Yeah, but when, when you're at, look, look at uh, look at Joe Satriani, man. He's like he's a yeah. He's so cool. Like you know, he shaved his head like long time ago, and he's the coolest shredder ever. Yeah, although he's 
He's kind of a shredder, but I think of him as a rock guitar player. Like, you know who's a great guitar player is Ira Black. You know him? And he's yes, got the most... I just, I just toured with him. Amazing hair ever. <laughs> he does. That, that guy has the longest hair ever. Yeah, he, I've been trying to get him on the show, and maybe one day soon. Uh, we're just trying to... We just you know. did a tour with him in yeah. Europe last December. He has a band called Dark Sky Choir. Yes, and, he does. And uh, the, we, they, they were the opening uh, band, and we were the, uh, the, the, the main support, and we were both opening for Queensryche. So right. we got good friends with those guys, good moments. That's a good, that was a good tour. Yeah, Ira, Ira's a good cat, and we go, we go back to the Bay Area, even though we're in L.A. now. What's your most memorable moment with the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, and that time span? I don't think that there can be just one moment. Like, everything was just great. Like, every day was like a big day there on that tour, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, from the recordings, just just hanging out and, you know, recording in his studio, in his house, and making the Scream album, the tours, good memories from everything, really, you know? Um, he came out to my wedding in Greece in 2011. What? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Ozzy flew to Greece for your wedding. He was actually it was in between of a, a, a like a, a tour break, and he was staying in England because he has a house in England as well. And he's like, "I'll come to your wedding, man." I'm like, "Oh yeah, right. Yeah, you will." I don't think oh, so. Oh my gosh! And, but but he took he took his plane and you know with his assistant and um, his daughter Amy, uh, and uh, they flew down to to Crete, the island where we got married, and. Uh, yeah, we spent a couple of days there, and it was great. Spectacular. Your friends must have been tripping, because you must have some yeah. musical buddies from, from back in the day, from when you're teenagers or something. And It was <laughs> actually a very closed type of wedding. Like, it was only like 20 people, like just uh, like our parents, our siblings, and uh, like, you know, my, my, a couple of my Firewind bandmates were there, and uh, of yeah. course, it was, sur- it was surreal for everybody. And um, Well, that's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good, and... Um, and even when we played in Greece, you know, they, you know, he met my parents and stuff, and they were very nice. And did he give a Aussie toast? Like, he, uh, <laughs> well, uh, he, here's just like, <laughs> it's a funny thing. No, he didn't. But he said this funny, you know, Aussie always. He's so funny, like just naturally, like com- you know, pure comedy. And the thing was like, at least you know, in Greek Orthodox weddings, what you do is like part of the whole ritual is that you have to drink like the the priest gives the couple like um you know you you have to drink from the blood of Christ whatever you have to drink three sips of this wine they give you you know yes and but this priest that we had he was i think he was like a, a drunk priest and he made us drink half a bottle of wine <laughs> he he made, he made his own wine he kept he kept on telling me like well drink this is from my own barrel number 10 drink more i'm like are you sure <laughs> Are you sure, Father? He's like, yeah, drink. And so I, so I had to drink three really large sips, and I can hear Ozzy in the background going, well, that's where I'm getting married next time. <laughs> that's so incredible. funny, man. Yeah. That's incredible. What about, what's the funniest Ozzy memory you have from the tours? Any, uh, something ridiculous he did? A lot, right. a lot. Just, I mean, just, just like being a fly on the wall with that guy, just listening to his stories is just so funny. Yeah. And, you know, he would always make funny stuff on stage. Uh, you know, when he turned his back to the crowd, he would always make all these funny faces and always saying jokes and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, man. He was like, I, I don't know if I ever told you that. One time I took a sleeping pill from him, which was a major mistake. Uh-oh. Because... Cause I almost missed a gig the next day. I couldn't wake up. Like it was heavy shit, you know, like really heavy the stuff that puts yeah. elephants to sleep, you know? <laughs> wow. So you mean like you were trying to get up and the alarm is going off or I just couldn't wake up. It was like, like totally lost in oblivion or something. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you were 
semi awake, but like I was, well, I couldn't. I, I had problems sleeping, basically. Like, I had problems, you know. Uh, insomnia as the tour went on. I was just so hyper. Like, wow, my God, you know, you're on this tour. And, like, is this really happening? So, you know, it's like yeah, after yeah. the gig, like, you have... Yeah. Plus, I think, down, it's, I think it's weird sleeping in a different hotel room every night. It's hard to sleep in, no matter how nice it is. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of weird sleeping in a new room every night or whatever. Anyway, go ahead. But, yeah, and he was like, well, if you ever need something, just let me know. I have this sleeping pill. If you ever need, a, you know, something to help you, I'm like, okay. And then I one night I actually hit him up about that. I'm like, hey, do you still have that? I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. Come to my room. I'll give you this and this. I this, take this one. It's a light one because I take heavy stuff. I'm like, okay. So the, the <laughs> light pill fucking knocked me out, man. Like I couldn't, like the next day, lobby call was like 5.30 p.m. And I, I woke up at 5.25. When did you go to sleep? I mean, I don't remember, but I slept a long yeah. time. Like. Right. I don't, I don't know, like 13 hours or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I was like, I could barely get up, and I was pretty stoned, and then Ozzy was laughing at me. He was like, you're fucking stoned, man. <laughs> he got you good, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He did, for sure. Yeah, so um, what song from Scream? Or you want to play us a riff that you uh, are mm. proud of from that or that you still have I'm, fun with? I'm proud with, of the or? whole record. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the whole record. Yeah. I like I liked, uh, the, main, the first single, uh, Let Me Hear You Scream. So... Yeah. That kind of a thing, and it's a cool song. Like, has this locomotive type of feeling. Yeah. yeah. I love your even digga 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 digga, like uh, you're accenting the downbeats, I guess, and it's got yeah. a nice. It's kind of swinging, even though it's straight. How did you build such a even feel like that? Were you a metronome practicer or very much so? Yeah, to me, the metronome worked wonders for for my playing. You know, like it's uh, it just makes you because I couldn't find a drummer back then when I was you know younger kid and practicing. Like I always wanted to learn how to play all my riffs and stuff in a practice room with a drummer, but I couldn't find one. So, and my teacher used to tell me here always, and practice with a metronome. And it, you know, it helped me very much, you know, just getting, like you say, like a lot of the dynamics yeah. and accents. And, um, and of course, you know, if you're playing the lead parts or any licks and stuff, it helps you a lot if you slow everything down and play it and slowly build up. You know, you have all this, you, know, you learn how to, Learn a lot about clean picking and just... Oh, yeah, dude. And with everything, even with chords and everything, everything for me has to go through a metronome process. I don't know. That, that's just my philosophy. I think it's so true. And I used to play with Jeff Berlin, who would argue vociferously against metronomes. So there are other opinions out there. But uh, I finally, my, you know, I was geeking out on this Mike Stern head the other day. <laughs> Anyway, I just I, that was like the first time I ever practiced with a metronome for like a week. That's Every a cool night, lick. What was that? It's a song called Mood Swings by Mike Stern. Oh, yeah. And it's a lot of string jumping and, and you know, it's really kind of difficult and not my expertise. But the melody was so cool. And, and I, that was, I really had a revelation as to how much a week of playing with a metronome for half an hour or maybe an hour a day, just working on that and slowly speeding it up. Like my time got better and the melody got more mm -hmm. consistent i was just like damn all these years and 
I had to be honest with myself. I really never really practiced with the metronome. I mean, we can learn a lot about groove by playing with musicians. Yes. But you can also learn this whole other thing from the metronome. I think that's the thing. If you can do a combination of things, I mean, it's important that you can you play with other people as well, of course. I mean, because yeah. then you, if you only practice with a metronome, then you are you only know that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. m making music is not that. You know, this is just to help you with your chops and, you know, yeah. keeping a, a good, you know, being tight player and all that stuff. But when you play music, you need to learn how to play with other people as well. And um, so, you know, sometimes you can be ahead of the groove or behind and all those things. But you, you can only yeah. learn that by playing with a, with a drummer yeah. and just with a band, you know. And then, of course, we do... As modern musicians, if you do a lot of record, I do get a lot of hours and hours playing with click tracks on recordings and stuff. So or, yes, so that that definitely counts as sort of as metronome practice in a way. No, it does. Yeah, I mean, if you're yeah. tracking, um, especially like I don't know about you, but when I do you uh, do like two or three or four rhythm tracks when you do a, on your records and stuff like that. I love doubling and quadrupling guitars if possible. Yeah, yeah. So like when you get to that after after two guitars and when you add the third one or the fourth one i mean that's when you really need to be tight because then it can go it can right. sound bad very easily <laughs> so. yeah you gotta not only remember exactly what you played and repeat it but be tight that's the yeah. thing i wanted to ask you about so some of the gear on the record on on the new firewind record it, i mean the tones are just so monstrous like perfect stranger deep tuning yeah. and monster tone what, what was your signal path there and what was your tuning dude here's the thing this album is just all straight through my interface and it's all plugins yeah uh, i think it's the first record that i've done that has it's just pure plugins all thing the whole thing um this guy the swedish guy called tobias or tobias lindell he mixed it and he's a, he did a hell of a job in the, in the mixing and he used this uh, plugin called TSC X50. I think it's a new thing. It's not very popular yet, but he also has he he makes his own plugins, the Lindell Audio stuff. So wait, let's back up for a second. Are you? Recording your own scratch versions with your own plugins, but you're also giving him a direct track, obviously. That yes. he can he can be like, yo, I love your sound, but I'm also gonna try this other guitar plugin, maybe this one I made. Yes, he did. He did. And um so I I, I always give the guys who mix the records, I give them I give them DI tracks. And yeah. uh and then you know they reamp in the studio they choose either to reamp or use some stuff uh some plugins or whatever i don't really know what to do i don't ask him much but um but i just tell him if i like it or not but you don't think that he did any real microphones on this record you think it was all plugs no he didn't and i insisted i was like i, I need you to reamp i need you to and and then he actually had he reamped some stuff for me and then he we a beat it and i thought the plugin sounded better than the reamp or as good or something and um it was just one of those things where he just he was really good at that and um, a lot of the you know the swedish guys are good at that stuff they're with plugins and all those things and there's just so many details in mixing a modern guitar record now <laughs> so yeah many. and you so. couldn't tell a lot of a lot of guitar player friends of mine even told me like what is this amp you use i'm like nope it's it's a plugin dude it's like you can't tell the difference it's you you have a lot of cool solo record stuff too who's singing on what lies below Oh, it's a um, a girl called Elise Reed. She's from a band called Amaranth. They're a pretty popular band over in Europe. Yeah, 
she's she's she sings great i've always been a fan of her of her vocals and i like the her i like her band amaranth yeah. and um i asked her to do this track with me a few years ago right. yeah what's the riff that you play at the intro of rising fire but it's got a filter on it oh yeah and and then i guess maybe tobias put a filter on it and you yes. might not know exactly what plugin that is i don't know but it could be yeah filter freak or something yeah i don't know what that is but i can play it for you that's how I, how i recorded it at least very so basically it's this riff and then i yeah and then i play this on the low octave like this that's the same riff Are you talking about the intro still? That sounds like the verse section. This is like the main riff, yeah. which is like yeah. the variation of that single string right. thing. But the single string yeah. thing, let's hear, now I'm going to play the single string thing as it appears on the record, right? With the filter that, on it? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, there's so many uh, modern things that we can do to make intros sound cool. Like, you know, back to that song, What Lies Below has a really cool modern sounding pop intro or not pop. You're you know, right. It's like, it has you know, that, like, that kind of a lo-fi, it's called that lo-fi filter. Yeah, I love that and stuff, then it, man. I like it too. I mean, I use it a lot, actually, apparently. I haven't thought about it, but now you mentioned I have a few songs that start out like that. <laughs> it's, I call it ear candy, and I love ear candy. I've got a total sweet tooth for ear candy. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's take, I want to go back to the Ozzy Osbourne stage. I forgot to ask you. Tell us about your first night. Because every night, if you're going to play guitar for Ozzy Osbourne, he's going to leave the stage, and you're going to take a big-ass guitar solo all by yourself up there. For yeah, whether, that was whether like, you're Randy Rhodes or Gus G. That was my most scary moment of the show because I don't like doing guitar solos. Like I like playing guitar solos, but not like on my own, standing there for 10 like minutes doing that. With the whole band's gone and it's you. And yeah, I never done that before in my life. And he was telling me like, do you have a guitar solo? I said, nope. He's like, well, you're going to need one. And I was like, fuck, man, I got to do this now. And <laughs> I, I know for some guitar players might be like, okay, this is my chance. But for me, it was just like, see, that's the thing. Before I got that gig, I didn't really see myself like, okay, the guitar hero or people, whatever, whatever accolades you get from the press and stuff. I didn't believe in any of that. I still don't. But the thing is, like getting a gig like that, it, you kind of have to step into those shoes for a little bit and you have to believe yeah. it and then you have to think like, well, okay, if he sees that in me, then I guess I must be doing something right here on the guitar. But still, for me, it's not really my favorite part to go out there and do like an unaccompanied solo. It's just yeah, just not exciting for me. Like if, even if I saw, I don't know, maybe if I saw Eddie Van Halen, I would, yeah, that, that matters. But I don't know, anybody else right. really, I wouldn't really sit there and be like, okay, um, so um, you had how many weeks to prepare for your first gig? And then what did you end up doing and how did your solo evolve over the years? I think we did like two or three weeks rehearsals and then we went out. Did um, you do your guitar solo at rehearsals? I had to do that, yeah. And, and I mean, I wanted to do that because... Awesome. Yeah. So you're doing a big guitar solo in front of the the, the techs and the, uh, the <laughs> members. And, yeah. And the lyric person. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I uh, I did all that a bunch of times every day, and uh, we went out there, and I did it. And it was okay in the end, you know. I uh, well, part I don't of know, it is just. I was gonna say part that? of it is stoking the crowd too. You gotta look at them and take command and be like, "I can't hear you." You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get them yeah. fired up. So, what were some of the, the patterns that you started off with, and maybe where I don't know where it ended up with, or maybe you could show I, us some. I, of- I, I don't even remember. That's the thing. Yeah, you didn't have any workout I, 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 sections. I mean, you know. I played, I played some riffs, like I played some riffs in the beginning, and then I did, like some stuff like you know. Um, I think it was stuff. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's okay. It's pretty standard. I mean, I th- I thought it was was kind of. I mean, in my opinion. I mean, to it's kind of, it was it felt kind of silly to do that. It's not like. I got in the role of it, yeah. of course, but it's not like even with Firewind when I do yeah. when we do our shows or my solo shows, I I don't do that. I like I I I think yeah. there's enough solos in my songs. I don't just go out there to do a solo of my own. I wonder where that comes from. I think maybe that tradition comes from from Eddie Van Halen the Eruption, I guess. And ever since then, yeah. if you're a hard rock blazing metal band, and and obviously Randy Rhodes did solos, is like you kind of it's like a '80s arena thing. I remember one it thing is. I used to do. I used to go. It's like on one string, you know. Anyway, that's a cool lick. But I was just, I was just noodling around it. But I would have fun, you know, rocking out. I had a Jackson, Randy Rhodes shark tooth model I used for a while. Do you, you know? uh, do you still, do you, do you still teach at uh, GIT? No. Well, I mean, I'm in the family, and I'm. Uh, you know, on the website, and, and every once in a while, I go back and teach a couple Tuesday afternoons or something. I think that's where we but, first met. Yeah, when I met you, I was actually the director of the program, and that was my main gig. I mean, sometimes I would teach for a quarter, a couple hours a week, or something, just to be more involved with the students and be right there. But it was more of a, um, you know, administration and keeping the the trains running on time kind of thing. And, and, yeah. and my favorite thing was always to bring in great clinicians. And we were very lucky we got to have you come in. But if I recall correctly, that day, you guys I were coming in off a long tour bus ride and at the last mile, less than a mile from the school, yeah, there was a little tour bus, tour bus accident and you like yep. walked the rest of the way or something. T- tell us what happened that day. Man, what a crazy <laughs> story. Like the la- like you say, like the last show of the tour at the Whiskey, we were driving in from uh, the last show, which the, 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 the previous show, which was in uh, San Francisco, Slim's. Yeah, that's like a Drab- six-hour drive. And Slim's, yeah. by the way, people, Slim's is no more. Like, Oh, and this really? Is, it's just like it stabs me in the heart, you know, that that. It's great- not there anymore? Well, apparently it's out of business. Yeah, there's, it'll oh probably God. be some, it'll be probably be turned into very expensive yuppie housing. Yeah, it's very I'm so sad. sorry to hear that. Yeah. So anyway, wow. that's like a six, in a tour bus, that's probably a six, six and a half hour drive. Yeah. You're at the yeah. last minute. And the guy just tried to do the whole thing like with no break, like without any resting time and our driver. And um, I think it was, yeah, early in the morning, I think, what's the, what's the street like the, like right from the I Hollywood think you, Bowl. I think you were on Coenga, Upper Coenga. Something like that. And then it was like one of those turns, you know, the curves on the road where he, he fell asleep on the wheel and then just crashed into this tree on the side of the road. And A tree? Yeah, on a tree. Wow. 
like head on or like side swipe the branches on the on yeah on the side so the the front door was jammed we couldn't get out of the front door so we all had to jump out of the bus from the from the back window from the back lounge in the window you had to use one of the emergency windows to get out of the bus yes that's how we got out and i just jumped i jumped out (laughs) we unlocked the trailer i got my guitar out called the cab and then came straight to mi for the clinic and while the other guys waited for the fire uh fire department to come get get them or something dude that's crazy like that's a big drop too from a tour bus window it's not like you know that's like six feet tall at least or something yeah i had to just jump out it was like i got it i was like to me it was like at that point i'm like okay we're okay nobody killed or nobody hurt i gotta jump out i gotta go do the gig now so it was like one of those crazy moments and like I didn't, I didn't really have time to think about everything until that night after the show ended. And I mean, think about it. It could have been the first show of the tour, or the second. I mean, that would have been a disaster. Oh yeah, trying to get a trying to switch buses in the middle of a tour is very yeah. difficult. Usually takes but like a week. Thank God it was no nobody got hurt, and you know we all we made the gig. It was a great gig that night. It was a great clinic. Uh, maybe yeah, I was man. a little bit off. I don't know, but uh, no, I, I you were great, it. man. You you rolled in there fresh from your incident with your crash into the <laughs> side of the, and uh, yeah, there was a room full of people waiting for you, and and it was cool. It was a it was a good time. Yeah, I, I uh, it was it was also like a like a little, you know, it was a dream for me to to uh, to be in. I never been to GIT or I've heard all these stories, you know, and. Uh, all these great guitar players like Paul Gilbert was there and stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a dream of mine to to, to go there and um, see see how that's like, you know. And uh, I mean, let alone do a clinic there. Wow, amazing. Well, that was an amazing moment, and um, yeah, certainly. And again, thank you for taking the time to do it. That was super cool. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, but that was a what was that like nine years ago, two thousand eleven? Right. I'm not good with years. Thanks for. Uh, filling that in yeah well before i let you go what kind of wah-wah pedal do you like for shredding with uh, active pickups and everything i've used a morley bad horsey for like forever because it's just so cool like with his auto return oh, i can't have it i can't have a wah-wah pedal without auto return yeah i'm with you so yeah, yeah i mean I just don't want to step and then like put more like <laughs> all your weight into that thing and then sometimes it doesn't turn off or turn on <laughs> so the 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 bad horsey has been uh, my go-to i mean lately i've been using the maverick because they had like it was like a smaller version of the bad horsey yeah and it was great for like it was like great for fly gigs you know you can just it's much lighter yeah and that one is spring-loaded too yeah it's a uh, auto return as well yeah. yeah 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 i've said it before but i just love how with the auto return wah like it's in the bass position and then when just you touch it and it starts in like more of a bass side and it and then it goes you know yeah 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 exactly yeah which is kind of a more natural place when you say the word wah we start with the bass and we go out to the wah like like you hear the old hendrix records and you hear like the click of the pedal and and it's all the way out in the treble position. Yeah. <laughs> I love being yeah. I love being able to sneak in and with the starting from the yeah, yeah. And with the uh, with the auto return, you can sneak in for like just a, a fray. You can have a lick that where like where you got one bar of no wah, and then maybe for two beats of bar two, you hit the wah for a second, and then back you're right. To, it can be part of the lick. So I'm so I can't yeah I'm I can't say enough good things about those. And Same I've, here, man. 
I've said it before too. It's hella funny when somebody doesn't know about about them and they're on it and they're trying to head and find the switch and they're hitting it as hard as they can. They're eh, stepping on it with all their weight <laughs> and there's no there's no click. Yep. <laughs> you know when they're playing one for the first time. Yeah, that's and, all I've used for years, man. I mean, I don't use many pedals. I don't know. Do you? I, I use like maybe like a delay and that's it. What delay do you prefer? I don't really care, but I've had like I like the DD5, DD7, the Boss yeah. stomp boxes. I do you use tap tempo on stage to kind of make the delay match the group? Or nah. you just like a little, you just like a little bit of vibe for when you just take, yeah yeah that's it yeah very yeah, simple yeah. stuff like <laughs> not too much yeah. thought into it as long as it sounds good like don't don't mess with it but you can do like you say you can do so much more things with it but yeah. I just don't bother yeah ah uh, yeah I'm with you I mean I I play in jefferson starship and we're doing a lot of psychedelic stuff so i have a couple of weirdo pedals ah okay but and also we don't have a traveling sound person that does our sound so i usually have to have a boost pedal too just to make sure that when i hit a solo that i'm a little louder yeah i can't necessarily trust that where my guitar was while the person was singing is at the appropriate volume level for a guitar solo out there and, You're right um, about that, yeah. So I, I usually run a boost like in the loop if it's a high gain amp, because you run the boost after the preamp section, right? And then you right. get you get more of a a jump. But um, well, cool, killer, man. man, dude. I had a this was a thrilling conversation, man, and and virtual jam session <laughs> trading licks. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for doing it, and the new record thank is you. incredible. Gus. Thank you, thank you. I mean, it's, it was a, I'm, I'm glad we connected after a long, long time. And uh, thanks for having me for this, man. Hell yeah. Well, cool. Again, just keep up the good work. Uh, you got a tour planned or, I mean, everything's obviously, I know that, I know that you're confirmed for like Monsters of, Monsters of Rock cruise next I year got, and stuff like I that. I got that with a solo band. Yeah. I mean, right now we were supposed yeah. to be in the States with Firewind. We had this tour with Symphony X and Primal Fear, but it yeah. got postponed to next year because of COVID. Yeah. And... It's one of those things, man. We just take it day by day, and we see what, yeah, what the regulations are, what the what changes, what what we can do, and I know. So I've I'm been, not, I'm, I can't book much stuff unless all this stuff goes exactly. away first. Same for you, I guess. Yeah, same for us. We, I mean, I've been telling people on the podcast how the whole year got canceled, which it did. Everything got moved forward, but then there's a couple of things where you know there's starting to be a couple of festivals here and there. They're like, we're going on, like. I think August 14th at uh, uh, Rock in the Rivers. It'll be, we're going to play with uh, 38 Special on one of the days and a couple other bands, maybe Georgia okay. Satellites. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's happening, but they're not canceled as of it's today, happening. which is it's the happening middle of June. Un- it's happening until it's not happening, I guess. That's yeah. how you have to look at it. Exactly. Anyway, well, you stay healthy, my brother. You too, my man. All right. Thank you. Yes. Keep it alive till you're 95. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot, Jude. No, the time is safe.